Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. You're listening to episode 86 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this episode, I'm going to give you some tips for staying calm as we head into the recital season. Welcome back, beautiful teachers. So in this episode, we're going to talk about all things recitals. But in particular, we're going to talk about staying calm and keeping your head firmly screwed on your shoulders during this season. Because I think before we became teachers, before we put on our own recitals, and if this is your first one, before you started this process this year, I don't think we fully appreciated how much work goes into them. As a student, did you appreciate that? I know I didn't, for sure. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes to put together even the most basic recital, honestly, without bells and whistles and all singing, all dancing, cheerleading, whatever you have going on. Without any of that extra stuff, even the basics are actually quite a lot. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of planning to put together a good standard quality recital. So in this episode, I want to give you some tips for dealing with this recital season and for staying calm, starting with some advice, which is not to do all the things. Don't do all the things. Don't think you have to do all the things. That is our mantra for this recital season, because actually, there's this terrible trap of the internet. It might sound a bit funny when I say it like this, But in some way, or from some perspective, this is what we're all doing. And that is seeing the internet as one single human. Now, we don't really think that the entire internet is written by one human. If you do, I'm here to tell you it isn't. I write a very small portion of it. But even if you're aware of all the different people out there who are writing all this content, It still feels, when you scroll through Facebook or Pinterest or when you Google something or read some blogs on your blog feed, it feels kind of like all of this stuff is happening together. All of it is happening. And actually, each person is just doing one of these things. I don't do every recital idea out there. It is impossible to do so. I don't even necessarily do all the things that are on my blog every year, right? I pick and choose. I just have one or two extra little flavors to my recital, and otherwise everything stays as standard. The internet is not one human, but when you look at it, when you read 
like I say, read posts on Facebook or scroll through Pinterest, it feels like everyone else is doing all of this stuff and you need to try and do as much as possible. And that's a recipe for feeling like a failure without failing at anything, right? You can put on a really great, good quality recital and still feel like, oh, well, it wasn't that special. I didn't do anything that amazing. But actually you did because you put on a recital. It is not easy, as I mentioned at the start. So I want you to keep that in mind. The internet is not one human. And the second part of not doing all the things is to keep in mind that a little touch goes a huge way. As I said, I try to include one or two little extra flavors, extra sparkly touches, I guess, to my recital each year. That's it. Just one or two. If I do more than that, people won't even notice most of them. They'll only notice one or two. Different people will notice different ones, but what difference does that make? Right? We want to provide something special for our students. We want it to be fun for the whole family and all of that. But that doesn't mean doing all the things. And doing all the things won't help you get there. It won't help you achieve your goal of having a great recital. So bear that in mind. And I'm going to take you through a checklist of all the fairly basic stuff that goes into a medium-sized, really good quality recital. Now, if you're having one that's in, say, your home studio, like, or even some people do them in their students' houses, that's great. If you're having an even smaller one, you may be able to leave some of this stuff out. And I think that's awesome. Okay? So bear in mind that all of these won't apply to you, but if you're putting together a recital or a concert and you do all of these things, you've done a pretty fantastic job and I want to give you a high five, okay? Now, keep in mind as I go through this checklist that you should think about it as a checklist, not a to-do list. And the point I want to make here in terms of the difference is that a to-do list tends to be Not always, but it tends to be people just sort of brain dumping, just throwing everything out of their brain, like I have to do all this stuff, and it's in a random order, and it's always too much, it's always an impossible amount to do, and the tasks aren't all of equal size, and right? It doesn't actually make sense. So a checklist is much more planned out, and it's in an order. So this is all in an order that you could do it in. Now, there is a written version of this as well. So if you go to the show notes for this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 86, just the numbers 86, you'll get to the show notes for this page, for this podcast. And on that page, you'll find links to that two-part article, which is a step-by-step to running a great, a fantastic piano recital. There's part one, which is several months out, and then part two is the final few weeks, and that will run you through this checklist in a written form. So both will probably be useful as you put together your recital checklist for yourself. And as I said, as I run through this, feel free to cross them off mentally in your mind or physically as you're writing this on a piece of paper. So the first thing in my checklist is the venue. That's the first thing I want to get confirmed. And I do that about three to six months before the actual recital. So as I said, mine is in May and it varies which week it is. I pencil in a date at the start of the year in September. Families get a calendar that has a recital date in it. And that's the first one I'm going to ask for from the venue. But, you know, if that's not available, it's not available. My venue is a school hall. I actually have a couple of schools. So one first choice and then a backup plan. One doesn't work out. Just schools that happen to have a piano 
in their main school hall, their assembly hall. And so if they have something on that weekend, like they have exams or they have a sports event on, they're not going to be able to give me the hall and I need to be flexible. So the first thing I do is get in touch with my venue and book in the date and confirm that. Now, I haven't mentioned the parents yet, right? I sometimes, if we have a toss-up between two different dates, I will offer the parents a vote, like I'll send them a little doodle and say, okay, which one of these would you like? Which one of these would work for you? Take the both work for you. So that I can accommodate as best as I can, as, as much as possible, most people in the studio. But in that email, I say, I'm going to go with whichever is the majority. There's very little chance of the date working for everyone. So bear that in mind. So they have that for them straight away. Baked into the question is the fact that, yes, if they choose one, they're voting on it, but I can't accommodate everyone. That is not possible. And you need to bear that in mind as a teacher. You cannot possibly fit in with everyone's calendars. You won't find a date that works for an entire studio of 50 students. Or even maybe a studio of five is going to be challenging. So bear that in mind, but send out an email if you do have a choice between a couple of dates. That's what I normally do. And I like to give them that vote because May, as well as being recital month, is also a very popular month for First Communions. And obviously I have a lot of students who are around eight years old and so they'll be taking their First Communion or they'll have a brother or sister who is. And since it's on a Saturday, that means they're going to miss the recital for that. So I do my best to accommodate, but mostly I'm just picking a date and going with it because, yeah. You can't fit in with everyone's schedules. You can't make everyone happy. At the same time as this, if you're going to have a theme, I would pick it now. Now, my theme is enjoying music (laughs) every year. No, it, it really is. It's just sharing all of our successes from the year. I call it the spring celebration, and that's what we go with. It's just about celebrating the pieces we've learned during the year and how far they've come. So students are mostly just playing their favorite pieces. I might have a special feature in there but the majority of the recital is just stuff that they're learning anyway and their favorites and the things that they play really well so that they can show off and so that they can develop performance skills without specifically learning a new piece for that event as well. Now a recital can do many different jobs so if your recital is there to motivate students to learn a big project work that's absolutely fine. That's not the way I see it in my studio. That's not how it fits in. And students have things like exams if they want that, you know, specific goal that has a big project or a few pieces behind it. So my theme is just spring celebration. But if you're going to pick a theme, pick it now at this stage, a few months out. And then you find out about participation. So once this the date is set, the venue is set, you can send an email to all your piano parents and say, are you in or are you out? In a more polite way, obviously, but that's the answer to the question. That's the question you want to ask them, okay? Are you in or are you out? And give them a deadline to respond by at this stage as well. So say, please let me know before February 16th so that I can start to plan the program. Give them a reason. People are much more likely to comply, by the way, if you give them a reason, no matter what the reason is. So just always give, because I need to do X, and people will be more likely to stick to that deadline. Now, they absolutely may not stick to the deadline, 
And if that's the case, you just text those parents who haven't replied by that date on the day. As long as they haven't said a specific reason why they need to reply a bit later, get back to you a bit later, then just text them and say, listen, just checking that you got my email about the recital date. I'd love it if Susie can participate. Please let me know if she's available. So you do need to push a little bit to get those participation numbers as far out as possible because it makes your planning so much easier if you know who's attending and who's not. There will always be uh, variables, like there will be certain parents who say, Susie really wants to be in the recital, but we may have a running competition that week and I just need to check on it. And, you know, it's fine to have maybes like that until a few weeks before, if necessary. Once you have those participation numbers and the date and everything is set, about six weeks out, we'll do our piece selection. Now, as I mentioned, my students are picking from pieces that they already know, that they learnt previously, and we're just polishing them up to recital standard and preparing to perform them. So if your students are picking new pieces, I don't think six weeks is enough, especially if they're pieces that are really pushing the boat out, really at the highest level of what they could learn. So bear that in mind as you're planning when you will have your students choose their pieces. But if they're choosing pieces that they already learned before and they're just going to need to revise a bit, then I think six weeks is a good time frame to not get sick of them before the recital. Then from then on, we start the rehearsals in lessons. So this is a full practice rehearsal, but just in their regular lesson where they pretend to be sitting in the audience, walk up, put their book on the stand, because most of them, well, some of them do memorize their pieces, but if they have their music, they're going to put it on the stand. They're going to set up the bench correctly, sit down, sit with their hands in their lap, raise their hands to the keys, think, take a breath, play their piece, put their hands back in their lap, pick up their book, take a bow and walk back to their seat. So that procedure needs a lot of practice, just that recital etiquette stuff. And so we'll start that as soon as we've picked our piece, pretty much. And in the beginning, yeah, the piece might not go so well, but they're getting that extra practice with the performance aspect in their lessons all the way up. So every lesson, pretty much from six weeks out, they'll be doing that at least once. And if they need to work on that skill a lot, then several times throughout the lesson. At this stage, I'll also be starting to put together the program. So once all or most students have picked their pieces and I have the participation answer from most parents, then I'm going to be able to start putting together the program. So if you're a VMT member, you can use the program templates inside VMT for this. They're already laid out for you with beautiful covers and everything. And you can set it up just using Google Docs. So totally free to set up if you're a member. That's basically the format I do my programs in. And so I'll put together that table with the student's name and their piece selection. And personally, I choose to have a mix of ages and levels throughout. So I don't go from like youngest to oldest or beginner to advanced throughout the recital. I just go sort of alternating as much as possible. So beginner music more interesting intermediate music and back and forth like that. I also don't put siblings back to back because I just want to avoid comparison and also because parents are listening to one. So imagine John and his brother Jack are both performing and they're doing that back to back. Well, John goes up and parents are listening to John's wonderful performance. John finishes, he takes a bow, he comes back to his seat and now Jack is already performing. Well, they haven't really had a chance to 
give John a little shake of the hand and a whispered, oh my gosh, well done, you know, he doesn't get his full kudos. So I like to leave that gap there whenever possible, unless they're doing a duet together, when obviously it makes sense to schedule it like that to save some time to have them back to back. So that's how I do my programming. And then about three weeks before, we'll do our full rehearsal. Now, I say full rehearsal, it won't be in the order of the program because I do this the same way I do all my group workshops, which is I send out a link to my music staff where parents can register their child for whichever time on the day that I'm doing them. For me, it's a Sunday. Parents can just hop in and schedule whatever time suits them for their child to attend. And so it'll be a mixed age, mixed level group workshop every time. And in the case of the recital, not everyone would fit in my studio at the same time anyway, so it's going to be split randomly and we go in a random order at that. But otherwise it is a full dress rehearsal, as in they do the full procedure that they've been doing in lessons, walking up, raising their hands to the keys nicely, playing their piece to the best of their ability without stopping and fixing mistakes and all that stuff, and doing the bow at the end. So we do a lot of practice of that, and actually soon we'll have a performance party workshop plan inside VMT. So that will give members a fully laid out workshop plan that will take them through exactly what I do at this group workshop. That'll be out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so that's what we do at the full rehearsal at the group workshop, and that's about two to three weeks before. Then from then on at lessons, I'll be doing program checks every time. So I'll have a program. I probably drive them a bit insane with this, but it helps with my peace of mind and this the theme of this podcast has been keeping ourselves from getting headless in this season. So for me, it helps a lot to have a printed out draft program that I keep with me in every lesson. And at every lesson with the student at the start, I say, okay, so you're doing, uh, let's find your name on the program. You're doing this piece. Is that right? Is that the composer? That's correct. And you're playing seventh or whatever. They often like to know when they're going to be playing anyway. So it's good to go through that. And I'll go through it again and again, basically. And if there are any adjustments, I'll be able to make it there and update it on the computer. From there, you need to start thinking about refreshments and decorations in these final few weeks. I don't go super elaborate. I make some kind of fun paper decorations or buy some balloons or something to jazz up the hall a little bit, but I don't go super wild with the decorations. And I don't do refreshments at this recital either. I do refreshments at my mid-year concert. This year it was a Christmas concert called Blitz and Bash. And in previous years it's been the January Jam. And I do provide biscuits and soft drinks and all of that at that because that's at my home studio. But for this one, since it's in a school hall, it doesn't really suit to have refreshments. And it's a big enough deal and a long enough event that I don't actually want to add extra time to it. Because families have a lot on. And yeah, it's just not a necessary stress to add for me and it doesn't suit the venue either. But if you are going to have refreshments, this is the time to plan those and the decorations. And then I would check with families at this stage about attendance, not of students. I already have the participation numbers, but I'd send out an email to the parents to say, listen, it's the more the merrier at this recital, but I need to know roughly how many family members you have coming along so that I can plan the seating because I want to know if we need to put out extra chairs or if just the standard benches will do and that kind of stuff. So I'll send that email out now that we're a couple of weeks before because family should know who's going to be able to come along. 
I'll also send an email to the venue during the last two weeks just to check. Double check. Are we all set for Saturday the something? And make sure that that's booked into their diary, even though they've already told me it is. I like to double check these things. And then in the final week, I'll be printing the programs out now that I've checked it at at least a couple of lessons with the student themselves to make absolutely sure that everything is correct. Now that it's all finalised, I'll print that out in the final week. I just print mine at home and fold them myself, so if you're sending them out to a commercial printer, you might need more time. And then I'll put together some notes for my speech. Now, I did a podcast episode about the recital welcome speech, so if this is something that makes you nervous or, yeah, you just need a bit more help with, then go back and check that episode out. That was episode 42, where I talked about recital speeches. Especially for those of you who get nervous speaking in public, I certainly do myself, so I sympathise with that, and yeah, check that episode out if you need more tips on what should go into your speech. From there, in the final week, I also put together a packing list for the day so that I can double-check everything that's going into the car on the way, you know, in the morning before the recital, and I'm not wondering if I've forgotten the camera or the tripod or anything like that. And that full packing list that I pretty much, as I use every year, unless there's anything extra, is on the second part of that article I mentioned, the step-by-step to a fantastic piano recital. So you can check that out there. And that's it. Once you have a checklist, once you make this out for yourself, yes, it's a lot of steps, but they're spread over quite a large amount of time. And you know the order that they're going to happen in. It really doesn't have to be overwhelming. And as I said, you don't have to do all the things. So that's already a lot. And families should appreciate all of that that you put into it. Most people will. If you can add a nice extra little touch, do it. Great. Last year I did two, I guess, extra touches, although one was from the previous year. And that is I had my cheerleader pom-poms to make our audience colourful which is really fun. We're going to do that every year because, you know, the studio is called Colourful Keys and it's just a really fun tradition to have. So that's our tradition, which does add that extra bit of oomph for the new families. And then the new thing I also did was I had all my beginner students learn one of the pieces from June Armstrong's book Safari. We learned those by rote and we did them in order because it's a beautiful book that takes you through a day on safari. You meet all these different animals, but it also includes, you know, little bits of weather and the dawn and the sunset and all of that. So that was an extra little touch that people really liked and appreciated in terms of programming. And anyone who didn't do that played a duet piece, so everyone played two things. And that worked really, really well. So that was one extra little thing I did, right? I didn't do everything, and you don't have to either. If it's your first recital, please just stick to the list there. That's going to be great. Parents are going to appreciate that, you know, you're a newish teacher. They probably know that, and they're going to appreciate it so much more for that. And if you're a bit of an old hand at recitals, sure, add in one fun thing. Do compliment cards. Do add pom-poms to your audience, or noisemakers, or have a fun programming choice or a theme. But don't do all of those. I was saying or that whole time, did you notice? Or, 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 not and, and, and. Don't have to do all the things, and you shouldn't. No one will really even notice the extra touches if you add them all. 
And the internet is not made up of one human who's doing all the things either. So I hope that that little mantra and the checklist will help you feel less scattered, less stressed this recital season, and I wish you all the best as you go into the preparations. If you have any questions, of course, you can find me in the Facebook group. Members can find me in the VMT Clubhouse. Or if you're not a member of Vibrant Music Teaching yet, you can find me in Vibrant Music Studio Teachers, our big open Facebook group, and I'll be happy to chat to you there. Bye for now. As I mentioned, we already have wonderful recital program templates and posters inside the VMT library. So if you're a member, hop on over to vibrantmusicteaching.com and check those out. And if you're not a member yet, you can sign up at vmt.ninja. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.